Order. The Prime Minister. What a good idea. I move we take the Speaker's words down. Mr. President, catch this. The point of order is sustained. I rise today to begin to filibuster America and reach for the stars. We are human together. The best in America. I might have got here on my own. Howdy and welcome back to This Is News. I'm Reem, joined as always by Jack. Jack, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Reem. How are you? I'm doing really well and it is good to be here with you. Um, for those of you who follow us on Instagram at This Is News Pod, you might have seen for a couple moments a post go up saying that we were going to be recording on Saturday instead of Friday. Um, funny story about that. My fake computer decided. News. <laughs> yeah. Fake news done by our Instagram social media manager who shall remain nameless. But he's a great guy with many wonderful qualities and uh, yeah. My computer decided it didn't want to recognize that one of my drives existed, and so, like, everything started breaking. But that's been fixed now, so we're back on the air, we're here, it's Friday and not Saturday. Um, but if you don't follow us on Twitter or Instagram, at ThisIsNewsPod, you're missing out What are out you doing? On, yeah, you're missing out on episode reminders. Um, sometimes we'll post midweek asking, like, things that y'all want to see covered. You're missing programming updates. You can stay up to date on when you should expect the latest episode of This Is News to hit your phone. So go ahead and follow the socials. Now, before we get into the main event, which is our coverage of the Electoral College, as promised, because this is episode 15, there's just a couple things we got to hit right off the bat. One, rest in peace to John Lewis. Truly a great man servant of this country who dedicated his life to a cause greater than himself yeah he's a he's a wonderful person he should be taught about in our history classes for the rest of the history of the united states and uh there should definitely be some statues of him built and put around the nation fairly quickly he is uh, one of the great civil rights heroes of our time and uh, truly just a wonderful american citizen a, a a hero everyone should look up to yeah, that's, yeah, that's, and maybe while we're at it, we renamed the Edmund Pettus Bridge to be named after John Lewis. Let's um, just give him a whole new building. Let's, we'll figure <laughs> something out. But yeah. 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 Truly a great man. And one of those rare figures where, politics aside, everyone recognizes that he served as best he could every day he could. Oh, for sure. There's definitely some men whose contributions to society are so wonderful and so consequential that they rise above partisan uh, partisanship, and we just all have to acknowledge how amazing they are, and John Lewis is one of those people. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, also in some sobering news, um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has cancer yet again. We wish her a speedy recovery and that she is able to continue to execute her duties as a Supreme Court Justice. Look, Jack and I have well-documented disagreements with her line of jurisprudence she typically follows, but she's a human, and we, we don't want to wish ill on anyone. 
Yeah, I mean, as 2020 gets crazier and crazier, it seems that we're losing one of the most important virtues you need in a nation, and that is even if you disagree with someone, you still love them as a fellow human being and child of God, and uh, that means that even if you disagree with them on the issues, when something tragic like this happens, you put those issues aside, and you pray for them, and you wish nothing but the best for them, and that's what everyone whether they're on the right side or the left side of the aisle, should be doing concerning not only Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but anyone in office who has some tragic event like this happen to them. And last but not least, um, the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Xinjiang, China, where the Chinese government is deliberately oppressing and wiping away the cultural history of the Uyghur ethnic minority in China through what are in effect concentration camps where prisoners are horribly mistreated against every known humanitarian guideline. Um, a report came from the Daily Mail, which is you know not necessarily the most reputable of news sources, but if even 25% of that reporting is true, this is one of, if not the biggest humanitarian crisis in the world today um, and deserves condemnation from any nation which holds liberal values at its core. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, 80 years ago, we swore never again uh, after the events in the Holocaust, and now is the time where we prove if we meant that. China is acting just as Nazi Germany did. NBC, who is reliable, has reported that the Chinese have been harvesting organs from these people. We have proof that they've been engaging in slave labor, and earlier this week we saw the most disgusting videos of the Muslims uh, being shaved and blindfolded and then lined up in lines by armored by armed soldiers and then put onto trains just like they did in Nazi Germany. This is atrocious and as the leader of the free world we need to unite the west into exerting all of our energies and resources to once and for all eradicating communism from the world and destroying the chinese government and one day allowing all of the citizens of china to live free with the uh, chains of tyranny that have been placed upon them by their tyrannical government finally broken and Fallout from this has already started to appear. The U.S. ordered that China close its consulate in Houston, Texas. China retaliated by forcing the U.S. to close one of its consulates. There's a little bit of a difference between these two closings. When the Houston consulate was closed, um, there were immediately video footage of papers being burned in what was effectively the backyard of the consulate. Not um, suspicious. Not suspicious yeah, at all. Not suspicious at all for a consulate that had long been thought to be a den of spies for the Chinese. When our consulate was closed, the Chinese had fire trucks at the consulate if there were any burning of documents. And you know what didn't happen? No documents were burned. Um, so, you know, interesting. Now the main event, what you all are here for. Um, for those of you who have listened to our last two kind of evergreen episodes, those are episodes 5 and episodes 10. This is the House and this is the Senate. You know what's about to go down. Jack and I are about to do a deep dive into kind of one of the institutions of American politics. Um, this week it's going to be the Electoral College. So, Jack, Electoral College, thoughts? Uh, I have I have many thoughts on the Electoral College. So I'm sure you do. <laughs> let's start. I need to make an acknowledgement. These days when you hear a uh, critic of the Electoral College 
tends to, at least on social media, it feels like it comes from a lot of the AOCs on the earth who there isn't anything the founders did that they don't think is pure evil and needs to be destroyed. So let's clarify. We're not saying that the Constitution in and of itself is bad. The framers were some of the greatest men to ever walk the, work, the world, and the Constitution is a work of political genius, even though it was a comp compromised document in many respects, i.e. the Fugitive Slave Clause, the Three-Fifths Clause, etc. Within its clauses are many of the eternal principles needed for a just government and a free and prosperous society. But one of the greatest things that the framers uh, em embedded within the Constitution was the acknowledgement that they were flawed men, and any document that they created would be flawed. And as such, Article 5, the amendment process, was necessary and was added to ensure that later generations could look back upon their wisdom and say, well, this works really well, but we need to change this and this and this. Now, we should not take the idea of amending the Constitution lightly. It is very important and it's very well written already. But I do think that there is one part of the Constitution that is the most obvious worth amending on a broad bipartisan basis, and that is the Electoral College. It uh, Concerning the electing the president, the framers are worthy of praise for a few things when it comes to the Electoral College. Remember, they, they didn't do this in the 21st century getting to look back at history. They, they came up with the Electoral College in the 18th century, and it was pretty freaking brilliant for the time. I mean, there was no other country whose executive officer was elected on a frequent on a frequent basis, and that's an internal principle in the Constitution that we should be very, very proud of. But the, the Electoral College itself, the method for uh, applying that eternal principle in the real world is not a, uh, a great thing. It is actually a flawed system built upon compromise, and the framers themselves acknowledge this. It's not like this has become a new thing criticizing the Electoral College. Its original form was a disaster. Uh, historically, and it created a horrible thing where it actually allowed uh, Federalist John Adams to be president, while Democratic-Republican Thomas Jefferson was vice president, and that worked about just as well as letting Donald Trump be president while Hillary Clinton gets to be vice president. It's a, it turns out <laughs> a horrible idea to let the second place get to be vice president. As such, the f framers themselves realized that the Electoral College was flawed, so they ratified the uh, 12th Amendment in 1804, and while it was a great uh, system in 1804, it is in fact an unjust violation of our suffrage rights, and as such, it must be repealed and replaced. Now, uh, I feel that the right of suffrage is best explained by Pastor Elijah Williams in 1744 when he quoted and expanded upon John Locke's logic for suffrage in his second treatise of government. So Williams, in doing this, uh, stated that all men are naturally equal in respect or jurisdiction or dominion over one another. Now, as such, it is the people who make and alone have the right to make the laws that are to, to take place among them, or which comes to the same thing, appoint those who shall make them and who shall see them executed. For every man has an equal right to the preservation of his person and property, and so an equal right to a establish a law or nominate the makers and executives of the laws, which are the guardians of both of person and property." The Electoral College, by its very nature, does not allow this. In 2000, we had the landmark Supreme Court case Bush versus Gore that decided a lot of things about the Electoral College, and the Supreme Court held, quote, the individual citizen has no federal constitutional right to vote for electors for the President of the United States. You do not get any legal say in voting for your chief executive officer, 
and that's just not morally acceptable. As such, we need to eliminate the Electoral College and replace it with a system that allows the people to pick who will be the executive. And uh, there is a really, really great solution. So for our Republican listeners, what if I told you there was a system of, there was an election method which meant that Bill Clinton would have never gotten to be president? <laughs> and to our Democratic listeners, what if I told you that there was a s- election system which would have ensured that Donald Trump was never elected president? I give you ranked choice voting. This is the perfect solution to our election problem that we have with the Electoral College. The way ranked choice voting works is rather than voting for one candidate, you rank all of the candidates with your first choice being ranked first, second choice second, and so on. All the votes are tallied only considering the first choice. And if someone gets 50% or over 50%, that's great. The election's over right then and there, just as is the case in a popular voting system. But... If no one reaches the above 50% threshold, the candidate in last place is eliminated and those voters' votes are now applied to their second choice. And this process continues until one a person has a majority, thus they become the president. And I think this is a great system for f- multiple reasons that I'll just list real quick. The first and most obvious is it ensures that people get their God-given right of suffrage. It ensures that the majority will get its way, just as John Locke correctly argued they should in matters of elections and legislatives. It just doesn't make sense that we would have a system where the winner of the popular vote does not get to be president. Like, if we're going to vote on something, surely the majority should carry the day. It would eliminate the spoiler candidate. And what that means is kind of, uh, let's say, usually we have a Republican and a Democrat run. But in 1992, for example, we had Republican uh, George Bush run and then independent Ross Perot, who was more conservative leading run, and this split the votes between them and meant that even though like 60% of the nation voted for a conservative, a liberal got elected because 40% voted for that and they took votes from each other. So it eliminates that. It will allow for more parties because it eliminated that and it will lead to more civility because uh, if you're wanting other candidates voters to rank you second or third so you're still up in the competition you can't attack them anymore you can't you can't claim that the other side is uh a bunch of deplorables because they will push you down the ballot so because of all these reasons it's not perfect i mean there are some crazy uh mathematical hypotheticals where technically voting for a candidate in the first round could hurt them but all methods are flawed i do think that ranked choice voting is the best and we should immediately repeal the electoral college and replace it with this all right so here's some polling numbers from gallup so once every well it used to be once every four years now they seem to be pulling this question more um they would ask um support for a constitutional amendment to base the presidential election winner on the popular vote the highest it has ever been is 62 percent of americans supporting it that happened in 2011 the lowest it has ever been is 49 percent of americans supporting a constitutional amendment that was in 2016 um parson wise um this breaks down to among democrats or democratic leaning independents 84 percent are in favor of amending the constitution while 14 percent are against among Republicans and Republican-leaning independents, only 24% are in favor of amending the Constitution, while 74% are opposed to doing so. Um, this isn't too surprising. One, uh, this poll was done in April of 2019, 
So if you're identifying as Republican, you support Trump, which means you are glad the Electoral College exists because it got you Trump. So I'm not I'm not shocked by that result. Um, well, now, even before Trump, I mean, it got you Bush, too. So it's it's been a long-standing thing for the uh, Republican Party. Now, it didn't always used to be like that. Like, let's be clear. Like, Republicans didn't always have the Electoral College advantage in this way, but they do now. So that's why right. we have that partisan breakdown. What is interesting is that a majority of Americans are opposed to states simply assigning their electors to vote for the winner of the popular vote, like the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact would have them do which if it continues to gain traction i'm sure we will get a supreme court case about its legality because oh boy is it interesting so here we go i I think i think they would have every right to do so so let me provide why i in a lot of ways disagree with what jack says where you just do a national ranked choice voting scheme one conducting an election for the entire united states would be difficult now do some countries conduct these really large nationwide elections that are bigger than us? Um, yes. In fact, I want to say India elects its president by the national popular vote. That's got to be an interesting one. And their <laughs> their election system, of course, is you know much much bigger. Um, so. Oh, actually, sorry, I'm wrong. The Indian president is indirectly elected by an electoral college comprising of both houses of the parliament no, wait, and Indi- the legislative assemblies. India has an electoral college? What? Yeah, um, so, uh, okay, never mind. There may not be a country with a larger population than the United States that does a national popular vote. And here's what I would do, is I would change it where we don't necessarily get rid of the entire electoral college because here's my concern. If you had to do a national recount, like say if it was within 1% and you had to do a national recount, that's a logistical nightmare to get done. And so I would be really, really concerned about that. Here's what I would do instead. Maintain the electoral college, but make it where every state operates like Maine and Nebraska, where it's done by congressional district with the overall winner of the state winning the two at-large electoral college votes. Now, this does mean that redistricting gets even more contentious, which... Yeah, the issue of gerrymandering would become insane. Like, you could gerrymander your way to the presidency. Yeah, so, like, you'd need some strong anti-partisan gerrymandering laws Mm -hmm. because the Supreme Court's not going to say that partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional. If they were, they probably... They actually, they... they they specifically held in Rucho that partisan gerry. They correctly held that partisan gerrymandering is completely constitutional. Yeah. So, like, you gotta like eliminate gerrymandering at the same time. So, do you think though? Do you really think that convincing fifty states who have never been willing to do this to all pass identical or very similar gerrymandering laws and hold to them will be easier? than just figuring out how to deal with the logistics of a national election. I mean, we've gotten to the point where we can send people to space. I think if we put if we set our minds to it, we could create a system that works fairly efficiently. Well, Jack, you don't actually have to force the states to do it if you just pass a law through Congress that says that if they like do partisan gerrymander, you're not going to give them any federal funding for like, I don't know, highways or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Well, technically, based on the uh, elections clause, uh, Congress could actually just outlaw gerrymandering at the federal level. Great. So but that, 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 that would cause a bit of an uproar. But um, I do, that also raises a bit of a risk because then the legislative can use its gerrymandering influence to influence the executive election, which is exactly what the founders were trying to avoid in creating right. the Electoral College. But... but let me, Sorry. let me provide the advantage is that in the event of like let's say it's close like let's say it's like 280 to 260 and so you need to find 10 congressional seats you can flip you're only doing recounts in a select number of congressional districts you're not doing it nationwide right but you could you could use ranked choice voting in those districts themselves right so like you could do like ranked choice voting in the Texas 14th district and ranked choice voting for Texas as a whole, like you can do that. Sure. Yeah. Great. Let's do that. Period. And if you also expanded the number of members of the house, you would end up getting it also to be even more proportional. No, um, no, no. Go back and listen to episode 10. Connecticut rightly knew what they were doing. As any in, Texas in, legislator who has ever had a bill, torpedoed by a point of order by representative stickland knows clerical errors are a big deal it was the will of god himself go back and listen to episode 10 now (laughs) on on your point i I have a i have a few observations to make first on the idea that it would be a logistical nightmare it is true that there could be some logistical problems this is true of every election system so i think back to the 1968 election that one was only decided by a few hundred thousand votes in which uh or, uh, no, sorry, not 1968, 1960, in which uh, Kennedy beat uh, Nixon. And it, it is true that could be difficult, but why should the size of something mean that we eliminate the principles that we hold? So let's say, for example, I, I think, Jack, uh, I'm, I I've been you, watching... Can I ask oh, you sorry, one what? question real quick? Do you yes. trust the federal government to competently administer a recount, much less the actual initial count of something? I... Do you trust is, the state government? We saw what happened with Iowa's caucus. Like, <laughs> that, was, that wasn't run by the state government, though. The Iowa caucus okay, true. was run by the Iowa Democratic Party. Um, I mean, I don't trust any, uh, any uh, level of government, but let me, let me get to that. I'm, I'm explaining. So it is true that uh, it could be difficult, and I, I've been thinking of Parks and Rec because I've been binge-watching it lately, and I just got through the episode where Leslie Nope wins her, new, her recount against Bobby Newport. And so none of us have a problem with that recount. We all see it's a small town. Obviously, she should have that happen. And because we're okay with it happening at one town, we'd be okay with it happening at another town. So say that Chicago needed a recount for its uh, city council. We'd be cool with a recount in Dallas taking place at the same time. And let's say there was just a crazy year where this happened everywhere and there were needed to be thousands of recounts. We would think it morally and practically okay to do a recount for every single one of those elections, even though it's... it's, uh, requiring a lot of resources and a lot of logistics. So I don't see how we would be willing to do recounts for thousands of different elections at the same time and consider that okay. But in the circumstance of one large election, we're like, oh no, we can't do that. And it's not as if our current system prevents those problems. I mean, we were very young when this happened. Well, actually, I was young. You weren't born. But uh, back back in my day, uh, <laughs> during the, uh, <laughs> during the uh, yes, uh, four-month-year-old Jack, uh, during the uh, 2000 election, 
I don't uh, I don't think the 2000 election showed that the Electoral College is the hallmark or the standard of order in an election that's contested. I mean, that was a disaster. The Supreme Court had to interfere in an executive election and like just lay down the law like that. That is not the ideal for and a, to be clear like, in that election. You know, what didn't happen. A recount recount. Well, that's not because a recount was wasn't justified it was because of florida law it's very complicated <laughs> but um uh equal protection clause gets thrown in it's a mess but i do think now i don't i can't say i have the answer in front of me because i don't but i do think there is a scheme we could devise where we figure out a reasonable way to have a recount at a large scale that is cost effective efficient and works and i don't see it happening very often like the 1960 election is an outlier this was a pretty close election back in 2016 and that was decided by three million of votes like just because it's close percentage wise doesn't mean we're going to have to have a recount okay but jack jack as candidates change the way they campaign do you think that we would end up seeing closer and closer popular vote numbers because candidates were actually trying to win the popular vote and not win the electoral college. Um, no, not really. Cause I mean, think about the American people, the American people went, they went from George HW Bush to Bill Clinton to, uh, George W. Bush to Barack Obama, Donald Trump. The American people are a pendulum that keeps swinging more wildly and more wildly. They really have no consistency. So I could see you could see wave elections that are switching all the time, where a very charismatic candidate uh, picks up like three or four percentage points in an election, and that three or four percentage points would be millions and millions of votes. I mean, even, like, the 2004 election was considered close. That was decided by 3 million votes. The uh, 2000 election was considered close. That was decided by still 500,000 votes. The, uh, it, it really does not seem like we're going to get a lot where we're very concerned. And I do think, like, if we can figure out how to do it, a recount at the local level, it seems, and at the state level, like, if California, with its millions and millions of citizens, could do a recount for governor, I don't get how the United States could not do a recount for the presidency. Okay. It, it may take a little bit of time, but I think we could do it. And that's why we have that time between November and January 20th, so we can figure that out. And right. the biggest the biggest critique I have for your argument, though, has nothing to do with, uh, like, if a recount is a logistical nightmare or not. It has to do with the principle of one man, one vote. Ah, so, yes, the current <laughs> the current way the Electoral College works is there are 538 electoral votes, which are dispersed among everyone. That includes the Senate, which is not based on population, and that includes the House, which is based on population to an extent, but there is an exception to that. Every state, regardless of its population, gets one representative, which is in line with the tenets of federalism, as it should be, but not in line with the principle of one man, one vote. You want to know something, Jack? If we added more seats to the House, it would be more proportional. But it wouldn't be exactly proportional. And that is the problem. As Elijah Williams said all the way back in uh, 1744, every man has an equal right to the preservation of his person and property and so an equal right to establish law. As it is an equal right, one person's vote cannot be 
mathematically lesser or superior to another person's vote. All votes in an election have to hold equal weight if it is going to be in line with the right of suffrage, and your system does not allow for that. So how do you justify one person getting a vote that weighs more than someone else's vote in determining the executive officer of the United States? All right, fair. And for the record, I do agree with Jack that, like, ranked choice national popular vote would be great. Um, like, period. I do think that's the best system that could exist. He's playing a bit of devil's advocate here. Yeah. <laughs> We're here to keep this engaging and not just say, yeah, we agree, and stop after, like, ten minutes. Um Exactly, which is why we don't talk about Star Wars that much. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, there is there is a few other arguments that we need to get out of the way concerning well, ranked choice voting. Let me, yeah. So one, um, I hate to be really cynical here, but why do I feel like a majority of the American public won't understand how ranked choice voting works? The Amer the the American Republic has chosen ignorance. We have some very smart people but they uh, choose not to engage in politics with... There, there's lots of studies that do this. Honestly, the American public in the late 1800s, and, or just the 1800s, was more involved politically and more informed politically than the American public today. And that it'll take some time to explain to them. We'll have a few celebrities do some YouTube videos. TikTok? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have we'll have a how to vote TikTok. We'll have Barack Obama do it for the liberals. They'll love it. He could do it with, like, Ellen... And then who who can we get to do it for the conservatives? We'll have uh, Kid Rock. We'll have Kid Rock do it with uh, uh, Ben Ted Shapiro. Cruz. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, well, not Ted Cruz. We don't want anyone getting murdered. Um, <laughs> so we cannot do that. But there are there are a few issues we need to address with the electoral college. Now I do I think the electoral college is dead. It's just not dead yet. Uh, the older population is the one who votes. So right now it's good. But I, I was watching recently, uh, I'm a huge Ben Shapiro fan, so I was watching all of his interviews for his new book, and uh, it was with a younger group of conservatives, like 40 and below. And when the Electoral College was mentioned, there was no vigorous defense of it. It was, yeah, let's move on to ranked choice voting, which is our method. And the Democrats have long been ready to destroy the Electoral College. So I do really think that it's on its deathbed, and within the next 30 to 40 years, we will see the amendment get ratified that ends the Electoral College. But there is going to be some uh, pushback and some resistance, so we need to address those points. The biggest one you hear among conservatives is it protects states' rights. And uh, look, no, I, love protect I love protecting states' rights as much as the next conservative. Like That's it's very why important. Federalism is one of the best things. But Antonin yeah, Scalia Jack had an answer for that. There was a protection for states in the Constitution, and it was destroyed by the 17th Amendment. God bless the 17th Amendment. Yes, the 17th <laughs> Amendment was the solution to states' rights. And there's some other ones, I think. Mark Levine has a good idea that the uh, states should be able to, by three-fifths majority of their legislatures, uh, repeal federal laws or overturn Supreme Court cases. And I think that's worth looking into. But simply put, if you're looking to uh, strengthen states' rights and states' powers, the Electoral College isn't your way to go. I mean... Can you point to a time it's helped? It, the Electoral <laughs> College elected FDR, it elected LBJ, it, it, it elected Woodrow Wilson, it elected Barack Obama. It, it does not appear to be doing a very good job protecting states' rights. And 
it was never really what was going to make that happen. So the argument that it protects states' rights is just untrue, whether you care about protecting states' rights or not. The Electoral College is not your answer for that. Jack, did you just name every Democrat you could think of? I just named my least favorite presidents of the modern era. Okay. And uh, they all coincidentally uh, did not care about states' rights, but won an overwhelming majority of the Electoral College. All right. Well played. Now, let me... (laughs) Let me present some advantages here. Having ranked choice voting could let third parties gain more prominence because you wouldn't be throwing away your vote by ranking them number one because you could rank a Democrat or Republican number two. Or you could go, like, let's say, for example, you live in New York. You could go, like, Green Party number one, Working Families Party number two, and Democratic Party number three. Or you could go Libertarian Party number one, Conservative Party number two, Republican Party number three. And it wouldn't be a big deal because until someone gets a majority of all votes cast, no one wins. Right. So. Mm -hmm. And I think another a indirect effect of that, as we saw happen when the populist party challenged the Democrats uh, reign in the South uh, until they just changed their constitutions to ensure they could never lose, is uh, it will force the major parties to evolve and adapt to the will of the people like right now. You could hate a lot of the things about the Republic. This is basically the argument for Trump. Whatever you hate about the Republican Party, they just look at you and go, would you rather have the Democrats? And when they're burning down their own cities, that's a pretty compelling argument. And you're like, all right, I hate a lot of you, but I'll go ahead and cast the vote for you because I hate you less than I hate the other side. This really weakens that approach. The parties can't just go, well, the other side sucks too because we're like, well, we have four other parties and some of them are pretty good. Right. And then if the if those parties want to stay in charge, which most of the time they will, that's fine. A two-party system, or at least a two-side system is usually how it goes. They will, the Republican Party will have to adapt a little bit to what its constituents are saying. And the Democratic Party will have to adapt to yeah. uh, what its constituents are saying. Jack, do you, mind if I, do you mind if I draw a comparison to the United Kingdom real quick? I was actually uh, thinking about doing that. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so in the United Kingdom, like, people often like to point at it as a, like, look, like, you can have a pluralistic, like, where there's more than two parties in control. Let's let's break that down a little bit. The Conservatives are the right-leaning party. UKIP and the Brexit Party do not get seats in the British Parliament. Like, period. They don't. It's only the Conservatives. Except for Northern Ireland, which is special and doesn't really vote on right or left. They vote on, like, unionist or not unionist and, like... Aren't there... Isn't there the, also the Scotland Secessionist Party? I'm about to get party. to that, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> and in England, the Labour Party, and in Wales, the Labour Party is your left-wing party, generally speaking. In Scotland, you have the Conservatives, who don't win, and then you have the Scottish Nationalist Party, who is very progressive, who have basically destroyed labor in scotland and have become the one left-leaning party so again you have a clear left party and a clear right party mm-hmm. wales is special they have their own like party called like Plaid Cymru that like we don't like they're special they don't get a ton of seats the green party always wins like one seat the liberal democrat party who is what a lot of people point to as like oh no but like look you can have centrists who are successful the leader of the liberal democrats lost her seat in the most recent elections to a scottish nationalist um so like there aren't a lot of them and they don't what the liberal democrats are useful for is supplementing your party to form a majority and then they get to like 
bargain some. So like basically imagine them as the moderate faction of the GOP or the Democrats who like are the reason you have a majority and thus they get catered to a bunch. That's what happened under David Cameron's first term as prime minister. The Liberal Democrats gave him a majority and in turn they got to have the deputy prime minister. Right, yeah. And I think, honestly, even if there are multiple parties, like, we'd see this happen most. I don't think it would happen in the Senate very much. But if we did ranked choice voting at the, like, House level, I think we'd see a lot more third-party wins. Yeah, maybe you'd see some Libertarians or some Greens get in, like, maybe a a Green or two from, like, Brooklyn. Maybe a Libertarian or two from, like, I don't know. Yeah. West, North Texas. Yeah. Even if there are multiple parties, it will come down to the two right versus left system, just with a little more debate and a little more diversity. I mean, Israel has multiple parties, and you can still be like, okay, these are the right-wing parties. They're going to band together. These are the left-wing parties. They're going to band together. So it's not going to be complete chaos. It's going to be – it's just going to be more diverse and more competitive. Well, and maybe like – you would have a Tea Party that like was a separate party from the Republicans, or yeah. you would have Justice Democrats would be a separate party from the yeah, Democrats. Like, like a- AOC, AOC could get her wish. Her and Joe Biden would no longer be part of the same party. It would be beautiful. It would, <laughs> it would be a great thing because I I do think it would be a little bit better because that way we can know we could still come in and unite like Matt Garretts and uh, what's her name Liz Shaney is it or. Liz Cheney, yeah. yeah, Liz Cheney would still be able to come together to vote against the Democrats, but then Matt Goretz would be able to form his Trump populist, Trump is uh, the second coming of Jesus party, and Liz Cheney would get to start her like conservatives with the brain party, and <laughs> they, they would be able to get to fight within the right wing, and we, we could see, instead of just the partisan battles, we could see intra-party battles. And it would add a lot more, I think, to the uh, politics of the United States in a good way. Jack, because, I, think uh, you, I think you met inner party battles, not intra party battles. Intra means inner. Intrastate commerce is inner. Yeah, I said inter, like between oh. parties. Like well, between no, I mean, parties on the right. Because you already have intra party battles. Right, right, right. But these ones would actually be effective and not just screaming on Zoom conferences. Right, because they'd be in good, good different yeah, parties. Good point. Exactly. You're right. You're right. I misspoke. <laughs> uh, I got confused about that for a second. I was like, I think the word means. Um, but yeah, the the other thing that I think is a really big deal, especially in our current climate, I, I David French talked about the poll. I don't think he's the one who came out with it. This is a little while back. There was a very disturbing poll that basically, in summary, said Americans are starting to hate each other. And it showed yep. that we're the most divided we've been since the Civil War. And I think it was one in five Democrats and like one in eight Republicans thought the country would be better off if large masses of the other party just died. And many of them felt violence would be justified if their side lost the election. That's not healthy for the nation. If you, uh, uh, There's an article in the Daily Wire today that called... The, uh, the United States is hitting the self-destruct button. That's how you do it. Poll numbers like that are how you self-destruct as a nation. And if that continues, like we'd have to consider like a national divorce. This is a way okay, to reconcile wait. that and to start. This is a way to turn away from that dystopian uh, future and turn towards a more civil, healthier nation that works out. Because ranked choice voting by its very nature you have to appeal to everyone and you have to acknowledge and welcome the diversity rather than getting more partisan and more bitter and more uh 
narrow-minded. You have to consider what, like, uh, the libertarians are thinking or what the Green Party is thinking because you want them to rank you higher. You know yep. you're not getting their first vote, but you want that second vote. And because of that, you can't just go out and trash the other side as racist bigots, inhuman, communist dogs, or whatever the latest insult of the day is. You're going to have to appeal to them as fellow human beings and win based on merit, not character attacks. And that yep. will be very good for the health of public discourse and civility in this nation and make it where it's much easier for us to live in a country together with each other without losing our minds and trying to kill each other. Well, I also think it would help eliminate flight 93ism, which has been horribly detrimental to American yes. civil discourse because only the people on the furthest ends of the spectrum would be saying, Oh my goodness. If anyone other than us wins, it will be the end of America as we know it. Or, if yes. you're on the very far right or if you're on the very far left, oh my goodness, if anyone else wins, we will immediately become oppressed and slaves to the capitalist regime or like, what? Like, I'm trying there, folks. And that, don't. I will say real quick, for yeah. anyone who knows a lot about electoral methods, that's the reason why ranked choice voting is better than the range or score voting system. Yeah. Because I think the score voting would encourage Flight 93-ism and you would yep. get a lot more, this candidate is evil and that's why you need to rank me so high. Yep. So I think, I think this one is perfect because it helps civility. And in truth, we've had one Flight 93 election in this country. It was the year 19... Uh, sorry, not 19. 1860, and a civil war came from it. That's the only one we've had. They're very rare. Um, I don't think we're going to get one anytime soon, and if we do, it'll be in like the next 30 or 40 years, not but the language is used. But the language yes. is used now every election, because it was used... And it, it's it worth noting... It started in 2016. Yeah. It becomes sorry. a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we allow that type of discourse to constantly dominate the elections both sides will eventually believe fully if the other side wins our way of life is over and that already started one civil war and if it goes unchecked it will eventually lead to very negative things again we we desperately need a system that mandates civility indirectly of course and this is the way to go this is the solution to this is Everyone in 2016 was disgusted by the fact that out of 300 million people, the best we could come up with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It, it seems like our current system makes it where we're stuck voting for the worst of both sides. This is the solution to make it where instead of choosing which option they hate least, Americans will start getting to vote for candidates based on who they love most. And I, I really think this is the solution that could solve a lot of our electoral problems and for conservatives and liberals to work together. We don't agree on very much these days, but we could be like, hey, let's have some more diverse opinions. Let's be able to rank multiple candidates. Let's get rid of the kind of archaic electoral college. And it just seems like a great system that everyone can get behind in a time yep. of increasing partisanship. Okay, Jack, let me make a quick correction for you or clarification for you just because you said something and I don't want it to come across the wrong way. Yeah, the Civil War, like the outcome of the Civil War, and that slavery was abolished in America, is a good thing. The bad oh, yeah, thing is that like six hundred thousand Americans had to die, die yeah. for us to affirm that universal truth that yeah, slavery I I was and just, racism are bad. Yeah, I was just simply saying that the one time that the Flight ninety three rhetoric was 
acceptable like and was yeah. true. That would have been an election where if someone was like, if you vote for the other candidate, we're screwed. Obviously, the other candidate being uh, Stephen Douglas. Uh, there's, there should be no right. uh, ambiguity there. Um, yep. But, uh, yeah, that that would have been true. But that's very, very rare. That's once in a blue moon. Uh, there's a lot of fools who run for the presidency, but there's not very many uh, Hitlers or Stalins. Right. And uh, yeah. Jack, let me make let me make one more point before we before we wrap this thing up. Is that it still matters that you get first place votes, right? You can't be some centrist who appeals to nobody as a first choice, but to everybody as like a third choice. Because, right, because you can't be last. Right, if you if you're last in first choice votes, you get eliminated, right, and your voters get redistributed. So you can't be like a centrist who just doesn't have an actual base and only is people's like second or third choices like that just doesn't that doesn't work electorally so i don't know that's how biden won the democratic primary (laughs) well i don't think that's exactly how biden won the democratic primary Um, that's true biden just politically murdered bernie sanders on live tv and it was beautiful well the democratic party freaked out and went not in our party you're not going to let some outsider who who's not even a democrat win no thank you we saw what happened to the republicans in 2016 not us Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) but the a conversation about how strong parties should be is definitely to come in one of these fifth episodes that we do so be sure to continue to listening here on this is news for that as always be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast and give us a favorable rating on whatever streaming service you are using to listen to this podcast i cannot stress this enough we only accept five star nothing nothing less four star would be okay um (laughs) thank you jack um also as we mentioned at the top of the show be sure to find us on twitter and instagram at this is news pod and like and follow the page and that's a perfect place for you to also give feedback to the show as we always read to what our listeners are saying about us as we take your feedback as basically gold because it's the only real way that we know what to improve on so let us know what we're doing well what we're doing wrong and we'll be sure to take a listen again that's at this is news pod on instagram and twitter and as always for this is news i'm reem and i'm jack and we'll talk to you all soon